All right, we are back at it on a Monday. Welcome back to Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked foundation, bowling foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com alongside my outstanding producers, Taylor and Cam, on this Monday. We got a busy show for you, including the return of one Pat Steinberg. Yes, Pat will join us for the second hour of Sportsnet today and then lead you into a special August edition of Flames Talk as it is back and ready to go, at least for a couple weeks as we get closer to the NHL season. So stick around for that. We have a busy weekend to go over. Toronto Blue Jays dropping a series with the Chicago Cubs. We had a great moment on Saturday with Jose Bautista being inducted into the level of excellence for the Toronto Blue Jays. Some hockey news to share. Disappointing outcome for the Calgary Stampeders. Very disappointing outcome for the Calgary Stampeders in BC against the Lions. We'll check all things CFL with John Hodge from Three Down Nation coming up a little bit later on this hour. We'll also have a stamps report from Patty Dumas following their loss in BC. Stampeders now. Three and six on this CFL season. We're going to kick things off today with the Toronto Blue Jays. They were in action this weekend, taking on the Chicago Cubs. And while the series was no doubt important to the Toronto Blue Jays, it was all about welcoming back Jose Bautista. Guest of honor, please welcome back home on his special day. As you can hear there from the sold-out Rogers Center crowd, it was a exciting moment for Jose Bautista. Teammates, former manager John Gibbons was there. Edwin Encarnacion was there. And it was a fantastic ceremony. You heard the voice of Hazel May. Uh, she was part of the ceremony for Jose Bautista as well. Uh, Jose, so emotional about this uh, event. Did speak live during the ceremony, but wanted to make sure that uh, his emotions didn't get the best of him. He was had a chance to thank everybody. So he actually pre-recorded some of his speech uh, where he took a chance to thank Toronto, thank the, the nation of Canada, and thank his teammates for his time in Toronto. I want to thank my Blue Jays teammates, those who are here today and everyone I ever played with in Toronto. We are a brotherhood. We share the good days and the bad. From the first day of spring training through 162-game season and the playoffs, we lean on each other more than people realize. As they say, it takes a village. So in the moment, it may have seemed like one player and one bat flip, but there were really so many more involved. And finally, I want to thank you, the fans, 
especially during those crazy, wonderful days in 2015 and 16, filled this stadium, watched by the millions on television, and lived and died with every pitch. I know for many of you, those memories will last a lifetime. We could feel your love and support. We played for the city. We played for this country. We played for each other. But most of all, we played for you. That was part of Jose Bautista's pre-recorded speech to the crowd in Toronto. Like I mentioned, he did speak uh, live. It was very emotional, obviously. It was a very heartwarming ceremony for him. And he kicked things off on Saturday for the Jays' second game against the Cubs. But not least, I want to thank the, the teams playing today. Um, thank you for your time. I know there's a important baseball to be played, and I don't want to delay it any further. So let's play ball. Jose, congratulations on joining the level of excellence. We're going to put you to work. Come on up here to my left. There's one more thing we have to do before we do play ball. We're going to invite you to take the mound for the ceremonial first pitch. Let's throw it up to public address announcer, Mr. Tim Langton. Our special guest to throw out today's ceremonial first pitch, the newest member of the Blue Jays' level of excellence, Jose Bautista. Vlad Guerrero Jr. to catch the pitch. Jose, it's your pitch. So kick things off on Saturday. Great performance uh, from the entire Toronto Blue Jays staff to get that together and uh, really honor one of the greats as Jose Bautista takes his rightful spot in the level of excellence. Unfortunately for the team on the field, they kicked the series off Friday with a 6-2 loss to the Cubs. They would rally on the game in the game on Saturday to uh, come back after a, a bad inning by Chris Bassett led out to a early lead for the Cubs. Uh, but Chicago winds up taking the Saturday game on uh, Jose Bautista tonight, 5-4. Heading into Sunday, Jays had to avoid a sweep at the hands of the Cubs. And luckily for them, the Bats came alive on Sunday to save them from a sweep against Chicago. The 0-2, swing and a miss to finish the ball game. Dalton Varsho had the early home run that powered the Blue Jays on top with Merrifield added four hits. And the Blue Jays cruise to an 11-4 win to salvage the finale of the series over the Chicago Cubs. That, of course, the voice of Ben Wagner, who uh, you hear on the Sportsnet Radio Network calling all of your Toronto Blue Jays games uh, here on Sportsnet 960. And the word he used there, salvage, that's exactly what the Jays were able to do. A sweep at the hands of the Cubs could have been disastrous, already losing two of three uh, against Chicago. Not a great outcome for the Jays, but they have a day off today. They'll take on the Philadelphia Phillies on Thursday, or Tuesday and Wednesday for a two-game set at home. Looney Dog night again on Tuesday for the Jays, uh, who find themselves now just ahead of Seattle for that final AL wildcard spot. They are a game and a half up on Seattle this Monday, uh, thanks to two losses in a row from the Mariners, who looked like they were uh, destined to take over that spot on Saturday. Uh, they've gone 8-2 and two in their last 10 and have closed the ground uh, behind Toronto for that final wild card spot. Jays sit two and a half games back of Houston for the second spot and five games back of Tampa for the top AL wild card spot. Teams chasing the Blue Jays uh, along with Seattle include the Boston Red Sox, who are three games behind Toronto, Yankees five games back, and 
really rounding out the pack. It's been a disappointing uh, post-trade deadline for Shohei Otani and the Angels. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10, six and a half games back of Toronto. Uh, Jays, however, very far away from the Baltimore Orioles now, uh, who have a commanding lead in the AL East. They've gone 7-3 and three in their last 10. So Jays, uh, for a while now, we've known this really looking towards coming home with an AL wildcard spot if it is going to be a postseason berth for Toronto. Quick reminder, Jays, Phillies, 507 first pitch on Tuesday for the first of their two games set. And then on Wednesday, it's another 507 first pitch. Hunjin Ryu got the win, his first from uh, since coming back from Tommy John surgery as part of Sunday's win over the Chicago Cubs. We'll have more on the Jays with Taylor a little bit later on. She's got your Jays report on this Monday. Switching over to hockey. Uh, some sad news to pass your way today. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, his former agent, uh, Dan Milstein, passing uh, along the news that former Maple Leafs draft pick uh, Rodin Imeroff has passed away today at the age of 21. In February 2022, the Maple Leafs announced Imeroff was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Uh, it was discovered when he was actually being treated for an unrelated injury. A former first-round pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs, 15th overall, in the 2020 draft, signed a three-year entry-level uh, three-year entry-level contract, excuse me, with the club in 2021. That was the same year he led Russia in scoring at the World Junior Championships. Um, really gone too early. Uh, he was in Toronto to start uh, this uh, last season, getting set to uh, push towards hopefully being a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs sooner than later. Uh, Brendan Shanahan with a statement from the Toronto Maple Leafs saying, quote, the entire Maple Leafs organization is devastated by this tragic loss. Uh, over the duration of his courageous battle, Rodin's positivity inspired everyone around him. He made the lasting impressions with our team and fans in his brief visits to Toronto. It's incredibly sad to see a young man with so much promise taken from us so soon. We offer our deepest condolences to Rodin's family and friends as we mourn this loss together. So, yes, very sad news. In the NHL world today, Rodion Amaroff, 15th overall pick by the Toronto Maple Leafs in 2020, has passed away uh, after he was diagnosed with a brain tumor back in February of 2022. In other NHL news, uh, so another Boston Bruins stalwart of the last 10 years is announcing his retirement. Once again, David Krejci has decided to uh, retire from the Boston Bruins. Uh, an expected development that leaves the Bruins now without their top two centers from last season. He announced his retirement in a statement Monday, thanking team president Cam Neely and Don Sweeney for allowing him time to make this decision. Comes three weeks after captain and uh, face of the franchise, Patrice Bergeron opted to retire. Krejci's 37, returned to North America last fall for one final NHL campaign. He had gone home for a year to play in front of his friends and family in his native Czechia, two-way center, over 1,100 games played, 1,192 games to be exact for David Krejci in a, in a Bruins uniform. Uh, that's a regular season and playoff games from 07 to 2023, obviously helping them to a Stanley Cup in 2011, 871 points in that time, helped the Bruins reach the playoffs 13 times and make three appearances in the final the Bruins were ousted in round one by the eventual Eastern Conference champion Florida Panthers this past season after they won the President's Trophy in the regular season. 
And of course, we've talked about this before, but this leaves Boston with a pretty big hole at the center ice position. Bergeron gone, Krejci gone. That puts 26-year-old Pavel Zaka and 31-year-old Charlie Coyle in the spotlight as the team's top two centers. He had uh, Don Sweeney had gone through most of the offseason reportedly planning for life without Bergeron and Krejci. Uh, they bring in some veteran reinforcements this offseason, including former Flame Milan Lucic. James Van Riemsdyk is there. Morgan Geeky, Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, the Bruins, even without Bergeron and Krejci, now on their lineup still find themselves very constrained by the uh, salary cap right now. Uh, David Pasternak has a new deal that takes place. And Bergeron and Krejci, as productive as they were, in Boston last season, we're both on pretty sweetheart deals for the team. So both of them retiring does not open up a ton of cap space for the uh, Boston Bruins. As of this Monday, uh, per cap friendly, the Bruins currently sitting with just $429,000 uh, and change with uh, salary cap space. So not much to operate there for the Bruins who, like we said, lose their top two centers and don't have a large prospect pool to pull from. As of right now, do not have a pick in the first three rounds of next year's 2024 NHL draft. Do not have a second-round pick or a fourth-round pick in 2025. That's long been the cost of success in the NHL, but the Bruins feeling the pinch now and will need to turn to uh, Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka as they look to fill the void left by two Bruins legends. Still, like I mentioned, David Pasternak still in the organization. Brad Marchand still there. You've got McAvoy. You've got Hampus Lindholm all signed up long-term. But two uh, faces of the organization now uh, gone for good in Bergeron and Krejci. Those are definitely disappointing news for Bruins fans to hear today. Flames front, no news to share over the weekend. Still waiting on uh, news when it comes to Noah Hannafin, Elias Lindholm, potentially Michael Backlund. Uh, with the return of Flames talk, I imagine Pat and Aaron Vickers will dive more into that as the uh, the return of Flames talk is back later on this afternoon. But it was interesting, and I'll bring this up with Pat a little bit later on when he had first gone on his summer holidays and was going to take the little break from Flames talk. I'd asked him just before he left, I said, "What do you expect to happen by the time you come back from holidays?" As he's been gallivanting through Europe, do you expect to see? One member of the Flames dealt, two members of the Flames dealt. I don't remember his exact answer. We're going to jump into it with him because I know it was more than one. And as of right now, none of those Flames that we talked about with Pat before Flames Talk took their summer break have been moved, and that's true as of this point on Monday. More CFL conversation coming up with John Hodge. Next segment from 3 Down Nation, but did want to dive into the Calgary Stampeders uh, and the BC Lions from this weekend. Really disappointing outcome. For the Stampeders, who fall to three and six on the season after a very solid game against the Toronto Argonauts that ended the six game winning streak to start the season for Toronto, the Stampeders fall flat in BC. 37 to nine is your final score Saturday. And from the start, this seemed like it was going to be a, a long night for the Calgary Stampeders. And that's what it turned out to be. Uh, Jake Mayer goes 17 of 31 for 131 yards passing. No touchdowns, no interceptions. We did see the return of Kadeem Carey to the backfield. He gets seven carries for 44 yards, where Dejic Mills gets 10 carries himself. He goes for 34 yards. 
Mark and Michelle, your most targeted Stampeder with seven targets, four receptions, but just 36 yards receiving on the night. The offense had nothing going. The defense, aside from Micah Alway and Cameron Judge, really didn't have an answer for Vernon Adams Jr. And the rest of the BC offense, Calgary found themselves down 17-0 after the first quarter. Vernon Adams Jr. throws for 322 yards, four touchdowns. Did have the one interception, but it didn't matter. Keon Hatcher was all over this game. Ten targets, nine receptions for 170 yards. Stamps didn't have an answer for him. Alex Hollins also got himself seven receptions. He pulled in 80 yards receiving on the game, and this Stampeders team off to one of the worst starts that we can remember under Dave Dickinson and John Huffnagel, and... Obviously, questions around the quarterback position. We've seen flashes from Jake Mayer, but the ability to push the ball down the field to get aggressive at times when this team needs a big play just hasn't been there consistently enough for this team. We did see Chris Reynolds, uh, the third-string quarterback for the Stampeders, in for a couple of plays. He goes one for two uh, with just two passing attempts for uh, five yards. Uh, We did hear that Tommy Stevens was dealing with a little bit of an injury. So we didn't see him in short yardage situations as much as we usually would. Uh, Stampeder is looking for answers right now. Perhaps, perhaps Marquise Ambles, who was just recently signed to the practice squad, can uh, come in and give the Stamps uh, a boost offensively. Maybe Kadeem Carey getting back into the swing of things on a more regular basis can help this team. But the the inconsistency, I think, is now the inconsistency offensively. I think is starting to hurt this team defensively. I, I do want to see them clean some things up as far as coverage goes from a, a Stan Peters perspective when it comes to the DBs, but I think the offense not being able to sustain long drives right now is hurting the defense. The defense is out there so often. They just don't have any time to rest. They're forced to you know defend a lot more than they are resting, and uh, the pass rush really hasn't been there. I know that's been a problem since James, James Vauders went down. Uh, I'm not sure that Mike Moore and Julian Hauser is the ideal pass rushing tandem for this team right now. Uh, and just really more question marks than I can remember ever at this point for the Calgary Stampeders. And it doesn't get any easier. You have the Winnipeg Blue Bombers coming to town uh, for Legacy Night at McMahon this Friday. Winnipeg 7-2 and two on the season. They're coming off a huge performance against the Edmonton Elks that we talked about last week, coming back from that 22 nothing hole against the Elks to win 38-29. That's with their backup quarterback, so you know the Bombers are going to bring it. And then you have to travel to Toronto to end off the month. Toronto coming off a big win against Ottawa, and you know they're going to want revenge because you ended their undefeated streak to start the season. Stamps have to figure this one out. Dave Dickinson taking on the extra responsibilities this year with GM and head coach, is it too much? I don't know if that's the the case or not, but this is as inconsistent a Stampeders team that we have seen to start a CFL season in a very, very long time, and it needs to right itself pretty quick. You're still in contention because the Riders haven't been able to do much. Ottawa and Hamilton are both sitting with three wins. So playoffs are still very much in the conversation for the Calgary Stampeders. But until you start to show something on on either side of the ball, 
I, I don't think anyone looks at this team and sees them in the same breath as a Winnipeg, a BC, or a Toronto when it comes to true Grey Cup contenders right now. We'll get more on the stamps with John Hodge coming up next segment. Plus, Patrick Dumas will run you through what he saw in the game against BC with a stamps report a little bit later on. We'll take a break, come back. We will bring in John Hodge, Three Down Nation. We'll talk about all the Week 10 CFL storylines with John. And don't miss it, 2 o'clock. Pat Steinberg is back. He'll join Sportsnet today at 2 o'clock. Lots to run through with Patty while he's been away for the last couple of weeks. And then Flames Talk coming up this afternoon at 3. You don't want to miss it. It's Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. 10 weeks in the books in the CFL season. Week 11 kicking off on Thursday. The 0-9 Edmonton Elks travel to Hamilton to take on the 3-5 Ticats. Then on Friday, we got Legacy Night here at McMahon Stadium. Stampeders, Blue Bombers. Saturday, Montreal and Ottawa, an important game in the East. And Sunday, it all ends off in Regina with the BC Lions traveling to Saskatchewan to take on the Rough Riders. But to go through our Week 10 CFL storylines, very happy to welcome to the program down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, John Hodge from Three Down Nation joining us this afternoon. John, thanks for the time as always, pal. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's start uh, locally here because there's been a lot of buzz about the Calgary Stampeders in a negative light since their uh, loss to BC on Saturday. Uh, John, when you watch this team, what do you think the biggest problem going for the Stampeders is right now? Well, I think it's got to be the quarterback position. I mean, this is a, this is a team that, you know, you look at the defensive side of the ball, you know, I, I think they could do a little bit of a better job getting to the passer, but, you know, the, the linebacking core is very good. The secondary is solid. You know, on, on special teams, you know, I think I think Cody Grace is very good. Obviously, Rene Paradis needs needs uh, needs no introduction. He's fabulous, always has been. But the offense is just not scoring points, despite the fact that I think Diedrich Mills and Kadeem Carey and the offensive line are are doing a nice job moving the ball on the ground. I mean, Jake Mayer this season he he has nine starts. He's got eight touchdown passes. That's that's obviously not good enough in a pass first league. He's also failed to reach 150 yards passing in three of his nine starts this year. That's, that's not good enough. I mean, he's, I think the only week one starter in the CFL who has yet to suffer an injury of any kind so far this year, or at least miss any time due to injury. I know he's been pulled a couple of times for performance reasons, but this team is not throwing the ball well enough at all. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to the man under center in Cowtown. Is there any worry that taking on the, the GM title with the head coaching title might be just a little bit too much for Dave Dickinson right now? Well, I think that's the case around the league. I mean, you, you look at the head coach GM situation in Edmonton, that's obviously been a disaster for that team at 0-9. You, you've got Orlando Steinauer. He doesn't have the GM title technically. I believe his title is president of football operations, which mm-hmm. you could argue is even larger. <laughs> yeah. But the teams that have that have combined the GM and head coach job essentially are the three worst teams in the CFL right now. With with I, I suppose you know I, I guess you could argue here and there with with some of them. But but if if the season ended today. Those those three teams, I believe, would be outside of the playoff picture looking in, and that speaks volumes. I mean, Dave Dickinson, 
has has obviously been a very good coach in this league, has has done a great job helping develop a number of quarterbacks. But this is the worst this team has been in in a very long time. I mean, three and six at the midway point shouldn't inspire confidence for anybody. They're in tough the next two weeks. They've got Winnipeg and then Toronto. They they should get a bit of a reprieve with the back to back with Edmonton. But um, you know, th- this team, I I do think this job is. I, I mean. Back in the 90s when rosters were smaller and player turnover was a lot less and you know mm-hmm. the player pool was smaller that was one thing but but you know it's 2023 like like you can't be a GM and, and, and a head coach effectively or or if it is possible nobody's doing it right now so yes no no disrespect to Dave Dickinson but I, I don't think this is something anybody could do. The Stamps obviously bet that, that Jake Mayer could be the successor to Bo Levi Mitchell as you see their quarterback situation now, do you see anything changing? Do you think the Stamps would look at uh, a Tommy Stevens or a Chris Reynolds in any situation, or are they going to try to stick this through in your mind and try to get Jake on the right track that got him this job? I, I don't think they have much of a choice. I think they've got to stick with Jake. They've they've given him a contract where that includes guaranteed money for next year. You know, Can you move on from that? Yeah, maybe, but I, I think you want to – give him every opportunity to work out of this funk and, and prove to you that he can or can't be the guy. I, I don't personally see Tommy Stevens as a future starter in this league. I think he's got an interesting skill set. I think he runs the ball very well. I like him as a package guy, as a gadget guy, not dissimilar to uh, Chris Streveler or a Taysom Hill. He's an NFL example, but I, I don't see him as an every down starter in this league. Um, you know, it would be great if he proved me wrong, obviously not only just for Stamps fans, but CFL fans in general, we need more young quarterbacks to step up and do great things. But, um, if the next one is in the building, I mean, we, we have not seen a lot from Chris Reynolds. We also haven't seen anything since the preseason from Logan Bonner, who's on the club's PR, who I thought looked, looked very good, uh, in the preseason and had a very prolific career at Utah state. So Maybe there's a couple in-house options, but I, I don't think there's a guy sitting there like a maybe we'll, we'll say a, like a Drew Brown sure. or or like a Dane Evans or 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 you know somebody in that ilk or of that that position where you know they're young enough to still step up and, and potentially be a starter or or maybe they've deserved another chance to be a starter. I think at this point the Calgary Stampeders, at least for the rest of this season need to roll with Mayer and, and really see what they got so they can make the best decision moving ahead into 2024. Oh, you brought him up, and it's a, it's a logical place to go next. We've got a lot of quarterback stuff to talk about this week, but probably none other than Drew Brown in the spotlight taking over for Zach Kolaros in that comeback win in Edmonton. I know a lot of people, John, will probably point to the fact that it is the Edmonton Elks and they are winless on the season, but... I mean, I can't, I can't take anything away from the performance that Drew Brown had in that comeback win, regardless of the opponent. I thought he looked fantastic. Well, and I mean, I, I've always been high on Drew Brown. Granted, I guess being based in Winnipeg, I, I get to see him more than the average person might in the yeah. media. But you know, when he came into the game, I tweeted that he's better than a lot of CFL starters right now, and I didn't realize that that was a hot take. I got a lot, of, <laughs> I got a lot of hate back for that take. Unfortunately, it aged well as he threw for four touchdowns and won the game. And yes, it was against Edmonton, but 
You know, it, it wasn't like he was taking advantage of broken coverages or it wasn't like he was, you know, just just happened to be under center. But, you know, Brady Oliveira ripped off a 90-yard touchdown run and the Bombers got a blocked punt and a pick six. Like, he was in the driver's seat and he was running the offense in a way that I don't think was any different than how Zach Kolaris would have been running it. I mean, some of the throws that he made um, were sensational from an accurate, accuracy standpoint. He did remarkable things, in my opinion, on the run. Um, so many of his plays came from him escaping pressure. I also think he's faster than Zach Kolaris. I think Zach Kolaris might be more elusive, a little bit quicker in space. But I think that Drew Brown is faster and can get the edge a little bit better coming out of the pocket. And, um, you know, to me, he is a starting caliber quarterback. And I don't think the debate, I think the debate some people are trying to have right now is like, well, is he for real or is he not? I, I don't think there's any question that he's for real. I think the question should be, could he do the same thing not in Winnipeg's system? Like the, the comparison that I'll make is back in 2019, Nick Arbuckle looked like, you know, a sure thing coming out of Calgary. And what we saw was, you know, at, at least judging by how he looked in his other several stints since then, I think that he was more of a product of Calgary's system and the talent that was around him at that time versus maybe what his raw tools were able to to have him do. I think Drew Brown has better tools, um, at least from just a, a raw standpoint, than, than Nick Arbuckle ever did. But that being said, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be multiple teams interested in his services. As a quarterback in 2024, he is a pending free agent, and, and one would assume a team's going to step up and pay him, which means that he's going to go to market and – and sign somewhere to, to either be the guy or, or be one of a couple of guys who are in strong, you know, contention for that starting role, wherever that happens to be. So we should, I think uh, a year from now have an opportunity to, to, to have a little more clarity on this, but I think he's for real and, and it's great for the CFL. I mean, as yeah. said, we, we need more, more young quarterbacks to step up and do exciting things. And I mean, heck, a lot of, a lot of very good quarterbacks in this league have not, had games like that where they've gone in and throw for four touchdowns and 300 yards and, you know, less, less than three quarters of work. And Drew Brown did that. As for the, the here and now with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, did we get any clarity on what is ailing Zach Kalaros? I know he missed practice today and Drew Brown was taking uh, the snaps with the ones at practice, but did we have any clarity on any severity for Zach Kalaros or how long we might expect him to miss with this injury? I, I don't have an update. I know that, that of any team in the league, the Bombers are probably the least likely to provide a timeline. Like there are some teams who will step up and say, you know, the great example being Mason Fine. You know, they said hamstring and he's out for two to three weeks. Mike O'Shea wasn't even willing to call it a head injury or a neck injury. He called it upper body. <laughs> and my guess is he's going to, you know, the, the, the timeline is not something that he is going to provide. So uh, I, I don't want to speculate. All I'll say is, is we know that he watched the second half of that game uh, from the sideline in street clothes, and he was at practice today in street clothes. So, you know, may, make of that what you will. I, I you know, I've, I've seen some people speculate it's positive. I don't necessarily want to want to do that, positive or negative. I think we just have to wait and see. And 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 again, I don't think the Bombers are going to tip their head. I think they're going to wait until the last second to to play him or not play him and, and try to keep the opposition in the dark as long as they can. As for the uh, other side of that conversation, we did see a young quarterback come in and, and look pretty impressive. I, I liked what I saw from Trey Ford and it made me kind of wonder out loud, John, why exactly Chris Jones was holding off on, on starting Trey Ford for as long as he did. I know the result 
definitely wasn't what Edmonton was hoping for. Anytime you get up 22 nothing, you have a chance to put a team away and you want to go and, and get that first win at home. It's going to be a disappointing outcome, but at least there's a ray of, of sunshine in Edmonton with how Trey Ford performed. Do you see it the same way? Well, to answer your question about Chris Jones, I mean, maybe we have to be open to the idea that he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, right? fair. I mean, he's he's lost 13 straight games. He's lost you know, nine straight games this season. He's, you know, his, his team has been atrocious over the last couple of years. And, you know, obviously he took over a very challenging situation in 2022, but, you know, we talked about the head coach GM thing, not working. Well, exhibit a is, is Edmondson where that team, you know, had a great opportunity to win that game up 22, nothing. And and it didn't happen. Now, is Trey Ford the answer in Edmonton long-term as a full-time starter? I think that's a lot to put on a very young Canadian kid. That being said, I mean, the energy, uh, the, the, just the hope, the hope that, that that team played with right off the bat. I mean, that, that start with Kevin Brown rushing for 65 yards up the gut and a touchdown, that start doesn't happen if Stephen McAdoo is still the OC and Taylor Cornelius is still the quarterback I mean, to me, the only explanation for a team that has been so bad and so atrocious, and by the way, had scored zero points the previous game, coming out and running roughshod over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the first quarter is, this is a team that always had that in them, and they they simply, you know, they simply couldn't get it done just 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 from a just from a belief standpoint. The, the, what I saw from Trey Ford. And of course, the new OC, Jarius Jackson, was just, okay, this team actually believes in itself. This team actually has hope. It believes in who's under center. It believes in who's calling the plays and designing the offense. And and that, I think, should be an encouraging sign for fans at Edmondson. Um, but again, I, I think Trey Ford, you know, I, I, certainly he's a great, I, I think the, the, the floor for Trey Ford is, is like a Tommy Stevens, albeit with a very different package. The floor is he's a great... Uh, a gadget guy. He's a great package guy just based on what he can do with his legs. I mean, he's the most athletic quarterback in the CFL. And I don't think it's particularly close. He ran a four, four, 40 yard dash at the CFL combine in 2022. He is quick as a hiccup freak athlete, got, got attention from NFL teams, potentially even as a receiver. Um, so, so certainly from an athletic standpoint, it's there. Is he ever going to be the, the, you know, stand in the pocket starter? I don't know. But in the short term, I, I do think that he's provided that team some hope. And he's obviously proven that he should have been in the lineup far sooner than he ended up getting the chance to. Yeah, I think at a minimum, it's fair to say he's providing them more than, you know, with all due respect, what Taylor Cornelius had been to start the year. I think, I think we could all agree on that. Well, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we, we often talk about, you know, developing young quarterbacks or, you know, the well, I'm sorry, but, but development is not linear. And, and yeah. sometimes guys get worse. And that's, to be quite frank, what we saw from Taylor Cornelius this year. That's also what we've seen from Jake Mayer this year. Yeah, no, right? like, a good like point. Jake Mayer took some steps from 2021 to 2022 and is currently playing the worst football we've seen him play north of the border. Like he is, he is substantially worse right now than he was as a rookie in 2021. And, you know, we, we I think, sometimes tell ourselves this, this lie or this false narrative where it's like, well, well, players only ever get better. Or like, oh, with more time, players get No, that's not true. Sometimes guys fall off quickly. And sometimes it's, it's you know, for, for reasons beyond their control, it's, it's, it's play calling, it's injuries, whatever. 
sometimes it's just defenses getting ample opportunity to, to, to kind of sit back and watch the film and figure out, okay, this guy can't do this. This guy can't do that. You know, I talked to Jonathan Jennings, for example, this off season about him having, you know, an extremely high peak in the CFL, but then being out of the league by the time he turned 30. And uh, for him, it, it was injuries. Basically he, he did a shoulder and, and was never the same player after that. So you know, I, I don't know if it's an injury for Taylor Cornelius. I don't know if there's something ailing Jake Mayer. And I'm not saying that neither guy could ever get back to maybe what they were a year or two ago. But, you know, progress is not linear. That's the case for Taylor Cornelius. Right now, that's been the case for, for Jake Mayer. And, and obviously, those teams in Alberta need those guys to step up. And, and I mean, again, I, I, I don't think the Stampeders have an option like Trey Ford to go to. But yeah. There's a reason Edmonton finally made that switch, even though it's obvious Chris Jones did not want to make that switch for a long time. He is John Hodge. He joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon from Three Down Nation, chatting all things CFL on the 10 weeks are in the books. What do you make of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders quarterback situation right now, uh, John? It, it seems like a really interesting one. Mason Fine goes down in that loss to Montreal. Jake Dolagala goes in. Uh, underwhelming would seem to be the, the common word from a lot of people out in Saskatchewan. They make the trade with Hamilton to bring in Antonio Pipkin. Uh, seems like there's a lot of bodies there right now. Obviously Trevor Harris and Mason fine dealing with injuries. I'm just curious how you see where the riders are at and if quarterback remains their biggest issue right now. Well, it is really too bad what happened to Mason Fine. I mean, he goes out in week nine, gets his first career win as a starter over the Ottawa Red Blacks, throws for 296 yards and a touchdown, no turnovers, which is really key because he's thrown a lot of picks this year and, and in his previous opportunities to play. And then you're right, he goes down with, with the hamstring injury. Now, Craig Dickinson, the team's head coach, has already indicated it's only a two- to three-week injury. It's not a long-term thing. Um, but, you know... Speaking of quarterbacks, you need to step up. This is this is Jake Dolagawa's opportunity, right? He he started one game last year when the Riders had a game rescheduled when when Cody Fajardo and Mason Fine tested positive for COVID. Dolagawa got the start, as predicted. You know, rookie in the CFL struggled. He 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 got into the touchdown Atlantic game late after Mason Fine got pulled, threw a brilliant touchdown pass. And and the thing I've kept hearing about Jake Dolagawa, I mean, he's six foot seven. 240 pounds, like very prototypical, even above prototypical NFL size. He, he just lacks consistency. Like yeah. he has very high highs and then he has very low lows as evidenced by the interception that he threw against the Alouettes in relief of Mason fine. So it, he needs to find a way to perform this week. He needs to find a way to get, get more consistent. Shea Patterson has been the team's, you know, quote unquote, athletic quarterback this year. He's been kind of their, their third string, you know, short yardage guy. I wonder if Jake Dolagawa does not perform, if, if we get a chance to see Shea Patterson running the full offense. And um, I also, you know, I think it's notable that the team traded for Antonio Pipkin, who will presumably dress as the third stringer. I, I think the ship has sailed on Pipkin, you know, being a CFL starter again. But, you know, he, he's potentially a guy who can who can get you through you know, uh, uh, some some trials and tribulations, we'll call it, from an, in, in, an injury standpoint. So I'm curious to see what Jake Dolagala does. Uh, unfortunately, the Riders' uh, schedule for the next little bit is is tough, of course. They've, they've got their Labor Day Classic Banjo Bowl 
head-to-head against Winnipeg coming up on the horizon, and they've got BC this week with a bye in between. So, I mean, the the club, if, if the season ended today, they would be in the postseason one win ahead of the Calgary Stampeders at 4-5, and five, but this team can't afford to fall to 4-8 and eight with that tough schedule. They're going to have to find a way to steal at least one of these games uh, against some tough West Division opponents, and they're probably, or at least I should say potentially, they're going to have to do it without Mason Fine. So, you know, you, you wish Jake Dolagala luck, but there's a reason why that team is an eight-point underdog right now, despite the game against the Lions being played in Regina at Mosaic Stadium. Uh, and last but not least, we finished off the week with a pretty fun quarterback battle between two Ontario teams. Dustin Crum goes up against Chad Kelly, who continues to to look solid, throws for another 400 yards, four touchdowns. Let's start with Chad Kelly, uh, 21 of 28 in that victory. Is he the MLP favorite as of today in your mind, John? My pick for, for MLP right now would be Zach Kolaris. Obviously, that, that depends on, on the injury situation and how quickly he gets back in the lineup. But Chad Kelly, I, I think, is certainly the MLP out of the East Division. And if Zach Kolaris does miss any time, I think certainly Chad Kelly is going to have a great opportunity here to run away with that award. You know, we've had some internal discussion at, at three down about, you know, and we are going to do a piece this week about who we would pick for midseason awards. And, and Kelly and Kolaris are really the only two guys getting any MOP hype. Um, you know, I, I guess Bernie Adams Jr. Would, would be the third option. Beyond that, it is it is a dog's breakfast of who you go to next. So Chad Kelly, I mean, he, he's been super impressive. One, one thing that I'm, I'm always impressed with watching the Argos is they do not have a number one receiver, at least in my mind. They, they've got a lot of good receivers. You know, they got, you know, uh, Devaris Daniels, who's, who's been very good. They've got Cam Phillips, who's been good. DeMonte Coxey, Curly Gittins Jr., but none of those guys are on the level of like a Eugene Lewis. Uh, none of those guys are on the, on the level of a Dominic Rimes, in my view, or, or a Kenny Lawler, a true number one guy who, who opposing defenses have to specifically game plan for. Yet Chad Kelly continues to make good decisions with the football, find open receivers, deliver accurate passes, and then also make plays with his legs. Like He's got 126 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns this season. Which, which in and of itself, especially in the era where every team insists on having a specific quarterback run short yardage, is is very impressive. So to me, Chad Kelly is certainly the MOP out of the East, and, and I, I do think that you could make an argument for him to be the MOP of the CFL. But he's, he's someone who has certainly grown in year two of his CFL career. Uh, and last but certainly not least, especially from an Ottawa perspective, John, I, I know – Injury is, is a part of the game and how you get into, you know, starting opportunities varies for guys. Sometimes it's it's simply opportunity coming up, and it certainly looks like that's the case for Dustin Crum, who I don't know if anyone was talking about heading into this season as we were expecting to see Jeremiah Masoli back in the saddle for Ottawa. He obviously goes down that game against Hamilton, but Dustin Crum sure looks like he's taking advantage of this opportunity right now for the Red Blacks. Absolutely, he has. He he's done a very nice job, and and you know you, you have to be impressed with his first couple starts, right? He won both of them, you know, which which is very impressive. One of them in a shocking comeback over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers late. One of the best finishes the CFL's seen, and you know, the, certainly the better part of a decade, I would think. That game was unbelievable. His his late game performance and prowess there, you know, really impressive. Um, then he beats the Stampeders in overtime, just as impressive. 
and and then things kind of took a turn, and I was waiting for Dustin Crum to adjust, and and maybe I should say offensive coordinator Kahari Jones adjust as well, because after the initial two wins, he was taking a lot of hits, and I think defenses were taking away a lot of the things that he did best. I mean, yesterday when he played the Toronto Argonauts, what we essentially saw was them not applying a lot of pressure to Dustin Crum, essentially using their defensive front to keep him in the pocket and then pulling their linebackers up high. And what that does is open up a lot of intermediate routes across the defense if your quarterback can fit the ball into those windows and avoid turning the ball over. And that's exactly what Dustin Crum was able to do. He threw for almost 300 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, and that was the game that I needed to see. That, that was the performance I was looking for for the 24-year-old. He had to do more than, than simply run around like a maniac. He's very good at that. He's got over 400 rushing yards on the season, which is by far and away the most of any quarterback in the league. But it was clear from his game against Hamilton last week against Saskatchewan, he was not going to play a full season if that was the amount of abuse he was going to take, and he also needed to, to rein in the interceptions. So the fact that he was able to, to throw the ball that well, take advantage of the opposition and the looks that the Argos were giving him gives me hope that he's going to be able to do that in future weeks when defenses maybe can't just play as close to the line of scrimmage to take the run away. That should open running lanes up for Dustin Crum and uh, and potentially also open up some some more passing lanes for him. So I'm excited for, for what we can see next from Dustin Crum. He has taken in the next step, took him five games, but he's taken the second step. I'm excited to see how many more that he can take. John, thanks as always for the time, man. Really do appreciate you joining us here in Calgary. Great stuff today, as always. Enjoy week 11. We'll chat again with you soon, hey? Thanks, anytime. Thank you. John Hodge joining us from 3 Down Nation, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, going through all things CFL Week 10 in the books. Week 11 kicks off on Thursday. Elks and Ticats, your Calgary Stampeders, back in action on Friday. Part of Legacy Night at McMahon Stadium. It's the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and your Calgary Stampeders. We'll take a break. Come back on the other side. Pat Steinberg is back. And he's going to join Sportsnet today around the corner for Hour 2 here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.